O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayers come before you. Incline your ears to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near Sheol. And that is Psalms chapter 88, verses 1 through 3. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla. And next to me, our intern, Tommy Daniels. A.K.A. Teddy Daniels. Or Teddy Daniels, yes. So, uh, Teddy Daniels, Tommy Daniels, is uh, uh, TD has been uh, coming on to Bridge uh, Radio and helping out as Steve is still around the country, traveling around, uh, just getting some things for our new location. Uh, we're, we're super excited as we are uh, open and uh, looking forward to um, just uh, bless the city of Laredo with this new location that you know God has provided. And uh, again, I just want to say thank you for all the people that just helped out Bridge Ministry. Um, we know that God uses uh, people, and I know that He used a whole bunch of people here in Laredo. And, and in Michigan and California and just all over the United States. And uh, I just wanted to give uh, thanks to, to, to all the people that are just helping out. And I also want to give uh, uh, a thank you to all our listeners all over the world. Uh, it's, it's super encouraging to just see that um, we'll get people from just different parts of the world to listen to this uh, itty bitty podcast as we interview authors and uh and i just want to say thank you for you guys but um but today i'm super excited uh we have a first time author a, a first time guest not a first time author a first time guest uh dr mark talbot and we're going to be talking uh about his book give me understanding that i may live situating our suffering within god's redemptive plan and uh, I'm looking forward to just interviewing uh, Dr. Talbot. Uh, I love the way he approaches uh, this book and he begins with creation um, and, and hopefully he's going to uh, unpack this as we interview him today. So just super excited. Um, please, please, listeners, please subscribe to Apple, Android, Google and Stitcher Radio and please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. We're also on Spotify, on Spotify, so please check us out there. And um, yeah, so please, you know, um, TD, is there anything that you would like to just update us in the ministry as you've been working with some college students? Uh, if you could just tell our listeners what's been happening lately. So I can't tell you how many people have asked me when we're going to open. It sounds like all of Laredo is, is wanting Bridge to open up already because <laughs> of the coffee. Well, we're and, open already. so and, and the resources, they're just wanting that. When can we finally get the coffee and buy Bibles and buy resources and, and be part of your, your Bible study classes that you do? And so yeah. it's been exciting to hear people's excitement as well for it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome as we have a full uh, coffee bar and our books are all over the place again. And we just have more space. So we look forward that people can just come in here and they're going to they, they're able to just uh, have discipleship and have a little bit more privacy than our previous location. So we're just super excited. And, and hopefully here in the future, we're going to be having um, uh, some music on, on Friday nights and stuff like that. Uh, get some people to play some Christian music here. So looking forward 
to that for sure. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we get this uh, podcast started? You ready? I'm ready. All right. Mark Talbot is an associate professor of philosophy at Wheaton College and host of the When the Stars Disappear podcast. He's also the author of the Suffering and the Christian Life series, including When the Stars Disappear and Give Me Understanding That I May Live. He and his wife, Cindy, have one daughter and three grandchildren. Welcome, Dr. Mark Talbot, to Bridge Radio for the first time. It's good to be here, A.W. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're really excited. We, we, we got an opportunity to read over your book. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about your, your new book that, that came out, Give Me Understanding That I May Live, Situating Our Suffering Within God's Redemptive Plan. But, uh, Mark, before we begin, uh, can you just please uh, 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 tell us a little bit about yourself and then how God drew you to saving faith? Sure. Um, I became a Christian when I was 12. I was at the time struggling with some temptations and got rather scared about them. Mm. And uh, so, in fact, I was at a retreat and the fellow who wrote the book, uh, My Heart Christ's Home, was the speaker. Mm. And when he um, issued a uh, call for people to raise their hands if they wanted to accept Christ, I accepted, uh, accepted him uh, then. Um, I didn't find, uh, while, while after that I was going to church regularly and my family was going to church regularly, I didn't find that my life uh, was conforming closely to the gospel. And in fact, as I got older, um, I found myself again worried, but worried in a different way. And what it came to was more or less this. I was a really wild kid mm. and liked to do things that were dangerous. Uh, I had raced go-karts and quarter midgets, and uh, we lived uh, on Puget Sound in, in Washington State in Edmonds and had the sound right in front of us and a wood behind us. And among the things that we had done was we had built a rope swing that was uh, much bigger and faster than anything that Tarzan ever made. <laughs> uh, in fact, it was so big and so fast that it had a seat, a round seat on it that was about um, probably a foot wide, that if you didn't land on that seat, you couldn't hang on. It went that fast. It swung out over a gully. And um, and then the first time it came back, in fact, you, you took off from a platform up in a tree, and then there was about eight to 10 feet of dirt and then a cliff and you swung out over this gully when you came back the first time if you didn't you couldn't get off because you were too close to the tree the second time if you didn't get off you were going to have to wait till it stopped and that would have been about a 30 foot drop so you can wow. imagine this is a pretty dangerous thing <laughs> well i found myself thinking at the end of my junior year i was just finishing my junior year of high school I realized that I was completely undisciplined. I knew I was smart enough to go to college. I knew I would go to college, but I was quite sure that I wouldn't even make it through a year because of my lack of discipline. And I was afraid because I was driving cars uh, recklessly on backcountry roads that I could hurt myself that way. I had actually prayed because I had felt that I was getting away from God. Mm. I had prayed that he would do whatever was necessary to keep me close. Now, I don't want to say that this is what he did in order to keep me close, but in fact, it's what happened. Um, there were a couple of us who had 
ridden this rope swing together, one person over another on the seat. And a couple of times, three of us had ridden together. And I had been the third one who always jumped on the tree or jumped off the tree onto the rope the first time it came back. I had a young friend who asked if he could do that. He was a great athlete. I thought, yeah, he'll be able to do it. So we said yes. So I was on the bottom of the rope by, on the seat. Another fellow was straddled across me. We came back. Our young friend waited till the rope hesitated before he jumped. It meant that the rope was going away from him, of course. I caught him with one arm, was hanging on with uh, the other arm. When we got out to the far end of the arc, I realized that, that at least he and I were going to fall. And I thought if I fall on him, I'll kill him. So I shoved him one way, and I'm not sure how far the drop was, A.W. I used to say 50 feet. I'm not sure about that, but mm. it was a long ways. Uh, I hit with my shoulders, and my feet went over my head. Oh. And uh, he um, landed fairly straight and slid in mud. There was a little creek there and it was dusk and i held him down because i knew he had to be pretty badly hurt and when i had got him quieted down i realized that my legs were in this creek and that i was had no feeling and i knew immediately that i had paralyzed myself oh, wow. and uh, it was just really interesting that my experience with that i think is different than most people's experience with a tragedy like that mm. I felt immediately God's love for me. Wow. I, I knew that what he was doing by means of that accident was narrowing the number of temptations that could face me in such a way that I would have to concentrate on my relationship with him. And so what happened was that all of these temptations that had um, been tempting me just fell away. And I realized that I had to think about my relationship with God above everything else, even as I tried to get back to walking again. Hmm. Well, I was in the hospital six months. When I left, I could usually walk with a couple of canes. I went to school a year and three months, to college a year and three months after my accident and went to Seattle Pacific College. Um, and it was still very hard for me um, uh, to walk around. The new president, Dave McKenna, uh, immediately took me under his wing and was concerned about me. And over my years at Seattle Pacific, Frank Klein, who was the dean of religion, and Cliff McCrath, who was the dean of students, um, gave me hundreds of hours in learning how to think about myself you can imagine that I had all sorts of people who would be coming up to me asking me to help them because my walking was so awkward that they just knew uh, or they felt that I'd be concerned about them. Mm. And so that was the start of my taking my faith seriously. And what it came to was that I just had to spend a fair amount of time every day in God's Word in order just to have any hope for the life that was before me. Wow. And that's been true ever since. Wow. That that was a an amazing intro for sure. Um in <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and it's just amazing that just like that God had used uh this accident for his purpose. Wow. But um 
man, I I just want to I just want to continue just talking about this a little bit more. But we're here to talk about your book. <laughs> uh, but you, I, I'm sure that everything's all connected and uh, somehow. And, and, and I actually talk um, A.W. in my um, in my first volume after I talk about a student that I lost to suicide, I mention my own case. Mm. And one of the things that I'm trying to do in both of these books and when the stars disappear, help and hope from stories of suffering in scripture. Yeah, and and I definitely got that in in reading your book. So, um, so Mark, uh, as we go through your book, give me understanding that I may live. Uh, why start with the creation in chapter one in your book? Well, these two books are connected in such a way that I want to say that in order for us to make sense of life, we need two different kinds of stories. Mm. We need our personal stories, which recount. Uh, who we are as individuals. And of course, those stories have a beginning in our birth. They've got a middle right now in what we're going through. They'll have an end at our death. Um, and then in addition to personal stories, we need a general story. Um, there are right now, more or less in competition, two general stories. Right. The one is the naturalistic story that says that the world uh, is nothing other than matter moving about in more and more complex patterns, that there's no purpose to it whatsoever, that whatever happens will happen for a period of time, but then ultimately energy will um, um, uh, end up spreading out in such a way that nothing will last. That's the naturalistic picture, which says that human beings don't survive their death. The Christian picture is the other picture. Mm -hmm. And the full Christian story has four parts to it. It starts with creation. It goes on to talk about the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. It then talks about redemption. And redemption gets its full explanation in what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And then finally, it looks forward to consummation to what God means to be doing by this whole process. The reason for starting with creation is that if we don't understand the beginning and the end of the story, we're going to mess up the Christian story really, really significantly. Mm. So among other things, we have to know that when God made the world, he made it in such a way that there was at that time no human suffering. Yeah. Human suffering came into the world because of our first parent's sin. And so we need to know what he did in creating the world and, and the wonders of the Garden of Eden and the reason why God gave Adam and Eve this prohibition that of all the trees of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of, the good, and, of, of good and evil you must not eat, for in the day that you eat thereof you'll die. We need to know why he said that to them. We need to know then that when they, in fact, listened to the serpent rather than to God that, and ate from that tree, that, in fact, they did spiritually die and that their physical deaths were after that inevitable because it's our spiritual life that keeps us as human persons alive. And they had severed their spiritual lifeline with God by having disobeyed him. Mm. And then we need to know that 
all, right off the bat at Genesis 3.15, God gave what's known as the protevangelium, in other words, the first statement of the gospel, that in fact, uh, the woman would at some point have a son who in fact would be such that he would, uh, that the serpent would strike at his heel and the son would crush the serpent's head. Because, in fact, that's the basis of faith. Yeah, That's the basis of Adam and Eve, having accepted that in such a way that, in fact, they were, again, part of God's people. And then we need to know the whole Old Testament story um, up to the time when our Lord came into the world. And the reason we need to know all of that is because we uh, need to understand that just as our first parents' disobedience was in space and time. So, in fact, Christ's obedience as the perfect God-man needed to be in time in order for him to win for us salvation. Mm -hmm. And then what I'd want to say, A.W., is that the most important of all these things is the consummation. Why in the world did God do all of this? There's there's an an interesting statement, which is what is first in intention is last in execution. Mm. What is first in intention is last in execution. And it holds with regard to all of the stories that we live by. The three of us are here right now. You and Tommy and me are here right now because we are living a story. Yeah. Uh, at some point, all three of us accepted the fact that we were going to do this interview right now. And then we figured out with that end in view, what we had to do in order all to be here right now and to be doing the interview. It's exactly the same with God's full story. If we don't understand what in fact he means to come of creation, rebellion, redemption, in consummation, if we don't understand that, we cannot make ourselves as we're supposed to be a proper part of his story. Yeah, so true, so true. And I really do love that you begin your book that way as you're breaking it down from creation to rebellion to suffering and redemption. But now let's talk about us in what you're talking about in your book, uh, because even in your book, you explain like why starting in the creation and rebellion and can making those connections within suffering. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because you say, and and I'm going to quote you here, in telling the story of creation in in this chapter, I have attempted to show the relevance of that story to our suffering by making comments to that end every few pages. And and, and you just go on and try to make those connections in your book. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, actually, what what I said was that I wanted um, not to have to make connections every few pages in the story of creation. Got it. And the reason was that I wanted the story of creation to stand in all of its wonder. Mm. And it is this absolutely wonderful story. Uh, If you just think of the retelling of it in chapter 2 of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis are not two different stories. They don't conflict. Chapter 2 slows down what we're told in chapter 1 in such a way that we can understand um, uh, God's care for us. And so in chapter 2, you find out that God made the first man of the dust of the ground and then breathed into him the breath of life which uh, in Hebrew is the neshama of life. Mm. 
that neshama is what makes us accountable creatures, mm. what makes us such that we can understand and God can address us, and then he can hold us accountable in various ways. And it's because he breathed into Adam that neshama of life that then he was able to um, uh, give Adam a command that Adam would understand. And interestingly enough, in 2.16 and 17, the command, the whole thing is a command. The first part doesn't sound like a command, but in Hebrew grammar it is. Mm. Uh, it goes, uh, uh, and of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat. Well, that's actually in the imperative. Mm. And so here's one of the wonders. After making this wonderful garden with all these wonderful fruit trees, and we don't even know what they were, yeah. God commanded Adam to wander through the entire garden, tasting each of those fruits and taking pleasure in it. Mm. So, in fact, what God did was he opened up for Adam a wide space for Adam to glory in the things of God. Wow. And it's only after that that he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat for the day that you eat therein you'll die. Now then think what happens after that. Suddenly God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Mm. What a strange thing to say. He's just given Adam a command and now he says that. And as the story goes forward, we realize that what happens is that Adam needs a companion who is of the same stuff yeah. of him uh, as himself. Uh, and, and God brings before him all of the animals, and Adam, looking at them, understands what, they, uh, what, what they're about, and he names each one of them appropriately. But we're told, uh, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Mm. At which point, God knocks him out, and takes some, I think it's actually flesh and blood and bone from his side. The word that we usually translate rib doesn't mean really rib. Mm. We don't know exactly what it means. Yeah. He took some stuff from Adam's side and he fashions it. He builds it into a woman who is the exact counterpart of Adam. What she is is his like opposite. Mm. And, and by bringing her into the picture, when Adam wakes up, God more or less um, um, plays the part of the father of the bride, brings Eve, who's not yet named Eve, but brings this first woman to Adam and more or less says, name this. And what Adam does looking at this woman is he can only respond in poetry. He says, this is bone of my, he says, uh, he says, finally, um, uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, which is one of the Hebrew words for woman, because she was taken out of Ish, one of the Hebrew words for man. And the idea is that she is the perfect prolongation of his being. Mm. And so what you find when you deal with the creation is that there are all these wonders. And as Jack Collins says, in a couple of places, a couple of books that he's written on the first few chapters of Genesis, it's only when you understand how wonderful these things are that then when you think about our world, your heart aches and you ask, why is it now this way? Mm. So if we didn't have a full picture of the creation, we wouldn't, in a sense, be prompted to ask, why have things gone wrong? And is there any way they can become better again? Wow. Wow. So true. Now, um, 
let's move on to now the second part because you broke it down in four parts and then mm -hmm. you finish off your book in the epilogue but um rebellion let's yeah. talk about re rebellion as we move to creation everything's perfect and you touched it you touched on it a little bit now let's let's talk about a little bit about rebellion and what's yeah. happening there yeah what i want to claim in that second chapter is that god was being gracious to our first parents when he offered his prohibition in 217. Mm -hmm. a prohibition is the kind of command uh, that can't be met merely in degree either you keep it or you break it mm -hmm. and so more or less what was happening was god was giving adam and eve a chance either decisively to commit themselves to him and his word or to turn decisively away. And of course, what they did was they turned decisively away from God. Um, uh, God, in a sense, was doing something like what we find uh, when Jesus is portrayed in chapter three of Revelation, mm. as standing at the door uh, and knocking with one of the seven churches. Mm. And uh, he says, uh, and if anyone opens the door, uh, I will come in with him and sup with him. Mm. And, and God was graciously more or less saying to our first parents, I'm going to uh, give you the opportunity to um, uh, identify fully with me to show that this really is a love match between us, between you and, and me. Unfortunately, they didn't do what God wanted them to do. Although when we think our way through all of scripture, we know that even that was something that God ordained, that God has, 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 um, um, uh, planned and plotted from before the beginning of time, yeah. um, they turned away from him. But at that point, the only way that they could adequately ever get back to him was by God himself doing something that they could not do, which sets us up for the third part, which is redemption. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and have a conversation about redemption? Because that's the good news, right? Yeah, that's the good news. Let's let's start a little bit before redemption. Yes. Let me start with, uh, I've got uh, the first chapter's creation, the second chapter's rebellion. The third chapter, maybe surprisingly, is in fact uh, entitled Suffering. Suffering. And then the fourth chapter is entitled Redemption and Consummation. Why the third chapter? Yeah, and, and, and before, just Mark, I, I found it interesting how you you broke up your book in that way. Usually, usually you'll for the most part i haven't seen too many books this way uh you have like 20 something chapter chapters in a book that is you know 200 pages long which yours is but i really like that you just broke it up in four chapter long chapters but are are, are breaking up in sections which was very interesting to me because I, I was able to as i was going into creation i was like you're you're focusing on these main uh points here and we're exactly, not exactly aj hey. yeah. Exactly. Okay. A, a, a W. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, and, and, and what was behind all that as we start talking about just maybe suffering, which it's a word that we don't like to hear. Right. I mean, yeah, right. We don't right. like talking no, about suffering. You, you, you caught exactly what's going on that what I want is each of the chapters to get 
uh, stated uh, the full theme of one of these four parts of the full Christian story. Mm. And so creation, and of course, one one feature of these books is that they have lots of end notes because yes. I'm trying to get across just the basic line in the text. But then there are lots of notes that enrich that line. Mm. So creation takes up the first chapter, rebellion takes up the second chapter. The reason why suffering takes up the third chapter is because human suffering started with our parents' rebellion. Mm. Uh, when you think of it, some of their suffering was just, how should we put it, natural. It came just right out of their rebellion. They eat of the tree. They immediately realize that they're naked and they're embarrassed in front of each other. Uh, when uh, they hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, early in chapter three, they go to hide among the trees which is its own irony because the trees were meant to be part of the glory of God for them. They hide among the trees. God calls to Adam, uh, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I'm hiding among the trees. God said, why? Have you done what I told you not to do? And he admits it. So there's already this fear of God. There are kinds of suffering that just naturally fall out of sinning. Wow, but then the interesting thing is this, and this shocks lots of Christians. God actually increases the amount of suffering in the world mm. in verses 14 through 19 of chapter 3. Mm. So he makes clear that the woman and the serpent are going to be at enmity with each other. Mm. And then he makes clear that she is going to have great pain in childbirth. And that furthermore, there will always be a kind of lack of real peace between uh, herself and her husband in the home. Mm. And then he gets to Adam. And with Adam, uh, who is supposed to be able, if, if they were still in Eden, he could have got all the food they needed without any great effort. Suddenly, he's going to have to scratch a living from the ground. And as he does it, and as he gets really tired each day doing that, he always has in mind that at some point, uh, this work is going to kill him and that he's going to return uh, to the ground as dust again. Wow. So God announces these extra forms of suffering. And our first reaction to that is, wait a minute, why would God do that? The answer, I think, is this. It's that ultimately suffering is good for us. Yes. That suffering is what leads us to stop and to think about our lives mm. and to ask what life is supposed to be about and uh, to have the chance to reorient ourselves properly. Interestingly enough, that doesn't merely work for Christians. You can read about a lot of non-Christians who say, it was only when thus and such happened to me, maybe I got cancer, I lost my job, this or that. It was only when thus and such happened to me that I, in fact, um, uh, started to think about life differently. And now I'm living a better life even if not a life uh, that is sheltered under Christ's blood, I'm living a better life for having suffered. So my point in the third chapter is I want to get a definition of suffering that will cover all of the kinds of suffering that we go through. And my definition, more or less taken from Hebrews chapter 12, is that we suffer 
whenever we experience anything that is unpleasant enough that we would like it to end. Mm. We suffer whenever we experience something that is unpleasant enough that we would like it to end. And if you think of it, if we do our work every day, at the end of the days, we're probably going to be a bit tired, a bit achy, and so on and so forth. I'm doing some physical therapy right now um, uh, in order to strengthen myself again. Nowadays, I'm in a wheelchair all the time. And yesterday, when my therapist was working with me, we managed to pull a muscle in my left shoulder. Oh. Uh, that's, you know, real pain. And, and it's something that then I have to think about, and I have to put that within this full framework of what God is doing. But what we find in passages like Romans 5, 3 through 5, and the second and third, second, third and fourth verses of James, the first chapter, is that suffering, in fact, does something to us that um, helps us learn how to endure and to lift our eyes to uh, the consummation, to what God is finally going to do. And it is only for us through suffering that we are likely to get, um, get clear that without the work of Jesus Christ, uh, our lives are hopeless. Yeah, I, I, and I do want to quote you here because I, I really love how you put this here as uh, uh, towards that chapter and transitioning to redemption. You say, ultimately, God and will excuse me. Ultimately, God can and will redeem all of our suffering. He may not rescue us during our earthly lifetime. Here we may fall by sickness or the sword. Yet someday scripture attests, whether in this life or the next, the clouds will break and we will realize that our suffering has been only a light momentary affliction that has prepared us for the eternal way of glory beyond comprehension. And I know that yes. you quote Romans 8, 18, yes. but that was so well put. And I had to <laughs> highlight that. And I was like, oh, man, like God is just giving gifts, uh, giving uh, men like you gifts to be able to 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 articulate and put into word just things that I'm, I'm feeling and thinking and and just don't know how to put it in word. And just reading that, it was just like so inspirational and so true that, you know, and we got to read Romans 8. It says, I consider that the present suffering cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and I think that uh, in another part, you, you say that even Christians may find themselves doubting God's goodness or power when they become aware of some kind of degree of suffering. They find themselves asking, how is suffering like this possible? If there's yeah. a, and, and the thing is, is like for us Christians, I think it's a reminder when uh, we are going through stuff. And, and I think this is I mean, with you and all the suffering that you have dealt with, I, these words I'm sure are inspirational as you probably read back your own words as you're writing and remembering. No, that's God, right. God, that's right. So, yeah, yeah, it, you 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 really hit the nail on the head with regard to the way that that suffering is important here, eight of you. It, it seems to me that if we think our way through the New Testament and who it was that suffered more than anybody else except our Lord. Mm. Now, our Lord's suffering, as far as his physical suffering, was pretty short. But, of course, his suffering was ultimately infinitely deeper than anyone else's yeah. because it meant that his father was turning his back on him mm. and pouring out his wrath on him, which mm. is why 
he begged God in the garden, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yeah. yet not my will, yours be done. But then if you think through the Apostle Paul, you realize that he suffered just tremendously as Jesus told him he was going to when he spoke to him on the road um, um, uh, to Damascus, when, when he appeared to, uh, to Paul. Uh, if you read 2 um, Corinthians, uh, the end of the 11th chapter and the beginning of the 12th chapter, he talks about having been whipped, I think it's whipped five times and beaten three times. The whipping would be Jewish whipping with um, um, uh, leather um, uh, whips that would have pieces of glass and so on embedded in them uh, that would rip up his back and his chest. They did uh, some of the strokes on uh, one's chest the rest on the person's back. He was beaten with rods by the Romans three times. Um, he probably had a hard time taking a full breath because of the amount of scar tissue he would have had. Wow. And yet, and yet, Paul is the one who understands, as he says in 2 Corinthians 4, that the suffering that we have in this life is not even comparable with the glory that we shall know. He makes the remark in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians that he and Timothy had suffered so much that they despaired of life itself. Mm. But then he says, and yet, uh, this was God's intention, that by his comforting us through his Holy Spirit in the midst of our suffering, we became such that we can comfort anyone else in their suffering with a like comfort. So suffering transforms us and makes us capable of, among other things, knowing when to speak and when not to speak when people are suffering, when just to pray for them, when just to sit beside them, when, in fact, to speak to them and help them try to understand what God is doing. And it also helps us um, and, and in the very way you're talking about, A.W., it helps us with regard to um, going through things where maybe initially we think, God, how could God possibly allow this? Yeah. But then when we see how he redeems our suffering, we realize that no suffering is beyond the reach of his redemption. Nothing, as Paul puts it in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Yes, amen. I, I, I think uh, I, I, th I think that we're going to be um, in looking back, you know, um, at one point in eternity, and this will be just a blink, a blink in the eye of this time here on earth. And we're just, I, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but we're just going to be like, man, that's what I was really, that little cancer, you know, it's not little yeah, here, yeah. here, right. Or, you know, I can't walk or, you know, my arm is gone and, you know, I can't see or anything like that. I, and, and I, I think we're going to look back and be like, wow, I mean, what, what could I have done better during that time? I wonder. I mean, I here's the thing for our listeners. Like, nobody likes suffering. I don't like suffering. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. None of us do. Like, nobody's going to – a person who's going to tell me that, oh, yeah, I don't mind suffering. You know, I, I think we're called to suffer well. Yeah. I don't think we're supposed to like it, you know, because it's, it's not fun. Right, TD? No, no, I, I don't like suffering unless it's like the gym. That's a little <laughs> little different. But no, not <laughs> no, no, but that's right, Tommy. Uh, and that's what comes up in, in Hebrews 12, mm. that, that there there is suffering, unpleasantness that we'd like to end, but we realize it shouldn't. And it's God's training us the way that we get trained in a gym. Yeah, yeah. 
And in, in light of eternity, it's a snap. It's like, a snap, yeah. I, I love what Steve told me the other day. We were joking about something, but it was truth as well. He said, in light of eternity, we're the same age. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I called him. I, I said, Steve, you're not a young buck anymore. And then he said, in light of eternity, we're the same age. Which it was funny, <laughs> but there's so good. much truth to that as well. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's yeah. probably... He's probably in his rewards. He's probably going to have a twelve pack of abs, and you maybe have four. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, is uh, that a switch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, but Mark, Mark, now let's uh, you know, we talk yeah. about suffering, and as we start winding the podcast, let's talk a little bit about just the the good news of redemption. And, yeah. and, 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 and as we were just talking, what we get to look forward in, in eternity in our new bodies are our, our glorified bodies and the new heaven and the new earth. And, and I know that in the beginning of the chapter, you made a connection with the first two chapters of Genesis and then the last two chapters of Revelation. Can we just touch yeah. on touching that a little bit here? Yeah. Yeah. Those are what I call the bookends of scripture. Mm. The first two chapters of Genesis involve no human suffering. Mm. The last two chapters of Revelation look forward to another time when for those who have sheltered themselves under Christ's work, there will be no more suffering. Mm. And, and so in those ways, they open and close the story for God's people mm. in remarkable ways. In between, we find rebellion and all of the suffering that takes place and then we find redemption. We find that uh, our Lord came into the world to reconcile us with the Father. I think the crucial thing to keep in mind there is that persons are made for communion. Yes. They are made for close fellowship with each other. Yes. All you need to do is to watch an infant with its mother. And the way that the mother will greet the child and they play with each other, she makes eye contact with the child, the child makes eye contact with her. After six weeks, the child is at the place where the child can smile and starts to smile at times, and that becomes part of the game. Um, that is actually called in developmental psychology, that is called interpersonal communion between the mother and the infant. Oh, wow. Long before the infant can talk, the mother and the infant are sharing affective states. In other words, they're sharing feelings together, and it's crucial. And we need that all of our lives. That's why, in fact, uh, God said when Adam was alone, it's not good for the man to be alone. It oh. was that he needed someone with whom he could be in human fellowship, in human communion with, which is what he got in Eve. Now, the interesting thing is that ultimately, the most important of communions is our communion with God. Mm. And that is what has been sundered, what has been ruptured, what has been severed by the fact that uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. So our spiritual lifeline has been broken. We're no longer in communion with God. Our Lord came to pay the price that would allow us by his righteousness to be seen by God as righteous again in such a way that then God could and would once again offer us his friendship, his communion. Mm. And that is what we begin to know in this life as the first steps of redemption. 
the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and dwells in us, and we feel that communion with him. The way that I, I think, understand that most fully was after I had my accident, I'm 6'4". I'm uh, if I took a spill, it was quite a ways to the ground. And for a while, I had long leg braces and so on and so forth. And uh, and and I learned to fall fairly gracefully, but then I wanted to be sure that I could get up gracefully so that my um, falling wouldn't discomfort people around me. And mm-hmm. what I found was that when I fell, I had this especially acute sense of God's Holy Spirit being with me. Wow. Uh, in that suffering, I could feel that God was right there with me, comforting me, telling me, be calm, find what you need to find in order to be able to get back on your feet, and so on and so forth. And that's something like all of us are supposed to feel. So we are supposed to come back into communion with God. And that, in fact, is what Romans 5 through seven is dealing with the mm-hmm. idea of our being able to come back into communion with God, an incomplete communion right now, but a communion that in the consummation will be complete. In the consummation, we will see our Lord face to face, and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. The single most important feature of human beings are their faces. I'm looking at your two faces right now. You're looking at my face. That's much of the way that we know what someone is communicating. It's not just the words. It's the way the face configures. And what we have to look forward to are not all the things that are going to accompany uh, everlasting life. The, The fact that it's going to be a feast and all these sorts of things. But it's going to be that we will be in communion, perfect communion, with God the Father through God the Son, and with all of the rest of those who, in fact, have been saved by Christ's earthly work. So true. So I would I would ask you, what about in those times when in our sufferings we don't, like, man, God, where are you? Like, I don't feel you. I don't see you. So it's a beautiful thing in our sufferings when we see God, when we can feel his presence, when we're comforted. Yeah. But what about when we're just, like, feeling the loneliest of lonely? And it's like, where are you? Yeah, yeah, really good question, Tommy. It seems to me that that can happen to any of us. And even when we've been through some fairly significant suffering, if a different kind of suffering comes into our life, that can happen. I'd suggest that in those situations, we have to believe more what we hear than what we see or feel. Uh, Ultimately, uh, our ears are more important, our ears and mouths are more important for what we are as human beings than our sight. Uh, that's clear in the Old Testament, that uh, that uh, we are to hear God's word. And the word sometimes, I think, Tommy, in situations like that comes to us by others speaking to us. It's by other Christians being willing to sit beside us and not be just like Job's comforters where we immediately start telling him what he's done wrong, but instead are being, they were willing for the first seven days just to sit there with him, and that was right, and and to sit with people. But at, when the time is right, after we prayed, perhaps to be able to say carefully and tenderly, I know what you're going through. I know what it feels like to feel as if God has abandoned you, but I know he hasn't. I've felt the same way, and 
uh, and and it became clear to me that rather than having abandoned me, it's like that uh, old story of footsteps of somebody um, walking across the sand, having four footprints for a long ways, and then there were just two. The person accuses God of having left her at that moment, and God said, no, at those moments, I was carrying you. When we, when we find that we, that we can't feel God's presence, we have to remember that our life is found in God's word yeah. and in trusting his word above all else. Yeah. I'll requote you what you said earlier and remembering no suffering is beyond reach of his redemption. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's how, um, as you start ending your book and we're, you start pointing us to the future, to Christ and, and, and that hope that we read about that, that we get to look forward where we will be in a new heaven and a new earth and all the suffering, all this, all this that plagues our flesh, the temptation, the things that we don't, we don't want to do and, and, won't be there. And, and I look yeah. forward, I look forward to that because I hate this body. I hate this flesh. <laughs> I do, <laughs> you know, it's in, but it's, it's, it's the things that keep, keeps me on my knees. Right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and just talking and communing, communing with, with Christ, uh, every day that, uh, he knows my heart, you know, and, and I'm here for a purpose. And I know that I'm here. He's put me here. Like you said earlier, this is no accident. We are here speaking together, right? And hopefully yeah. somebody's listening to this podcast around the world or in the United States and are being encouraged um, in, in what you have to say about your new book. But, um, but um, Mark, you know, uh, man, this flew by very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, where did the time fly on here? <laughs> that was quick. But, um, but uh, Mark, we, we, we like to ask our, our guests uh, to share the gospel. Romans uh, ten fourteen says, how would they call on him who they've not believed? And how would they believe right. in whom they've not heard? And how would they hear without a preacher? Are you yes. able to share the good news, the gospel to our worldwide audience today? Yes. Yes. Let me back up five verses in chapter <laughs> 10 in Romans where Paul says, that uh, the basis of faith is the fact that we openly declare, that's really what the first words having to do with confessing the name of Jesus come to. If we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God resurrected him from the dead, then we will be saved. All who call upon him and openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead will be saved. The gospel is that, in fact, all of the things that we see in this world that strike us as a sign that God doesn't care are in fact not what they seem, that the causal regularities that mean that people come down with cancer or this or that, 
God put those causal regularities in the world so that we can understand it well enough to inhabit it. But what our Lord's resurrection tells us is that by his being perfectly obedient to his Father and his being willing from his first moment uh, on earth to uh, give himself fully back to his Father and be fully obedient to him, even to death, to death on a cross, that he won for us salvation, where if we will simply put our faith in what he has done for us, then in fact, we will become God's children. And what we have to look forward to is what our Lord's resurrection um, is first fruits of. And that is that there will come a time when this world will dissolve and we'll see behind it mm. what God has planned all along for his people, mm. this life of complete communion with him and with God's people. So the gospel is simply that we put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Mm. And putting our faith in his work means that we openly proclaim it. We are to be his witnesses now. Our Lord says, that if we are embarrassed by him now, he'll be embarrassed by us at the last judgment. We need to be his witnesses, and we must believe what in fact is true, that by our Lord's resurrection, he showed us that he is doing something much greater than any of us can ask or imagine to bring us into full communion with him. And that's what we look for. We don't look for any of the perks of uh, the new life, although they will be there. Yeah. We look for communion with God in Christ and for communion with each other. Amen. Amen. And that is the good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, uh, thank you for coming on Bridge Radio. For our listeners, please go out and get the book. We didn't, we barely touched the surface here. You got to go get the book because there's a lot there. Give me understanding that I may live. Situating our suffering with God's redemptive plan by Dr. Mark Talbot. Mark, where can our listeners find you? If you want to be found, <laughs> I always say that. I don't know if you're on social media, website, uh, different places where they can just go back and uh, check out your other books, uh, maybe follow you on uh, some social media. Where, where can they find you? Yeah, I don't do much on social media, okay. but they can find me on christianscholarsfund.org. That's the group that has supported my writing for the last 10 years. Oh, wow. All one word, christianscholarsfund.org. They could go to the Wheaton College website, Wheaton EDU, and they could look me up in the philosophy department. They're actually, um, um, we've got a podcast now called When the Stars Disappear, named yes. for my first book. Um, and it's possible for people to write in questions about the podcast. So far, we've done seven of them. We're doing one every other week. One's coming out uh, uh, tomorrow, in fact. Okay. Uh, the eighth uh, one is coming out. People can contact us through that or through the Christian Scholars Fund website. Um, uh, my, I'll give people my email. My email is just mark.talbot, T-A-L-B-O-T, at Wheaton, W-H-E-A-T-O-N dot E-D-U. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Please, 
go check out Mark's podcast, uh, When the Stars Disappear. If you have any questions, please write into, uh, write into uh, email to him. Sorry, excuse me. And, uh, and, and I'm sure he'll be happy to answer those uh, questions. Mark, thank you very much for coming on Bridge Radio today. And hopefully we can have you back on and we can talk maybe about uh, any of your previous book or any future books that you might have in, in, in the pipeline that are going to be released here in the future. I would really enjoy that. This is this has been a enjoyable time together. Oh, it's been great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Dr. Mark Talbot on his new book, Give Me Understanding That I May Live, Situating Our Suffering with God's Redemptive Plan by Crossway Publishing. Tommy, what did you think? I know you didn't get to, to speak too much in this podcast, but why don't you give me your, your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely took notes within seconds. Um, the first thing I wrote was, you know, when he was sharing his story, he said, I didn't find my life conforming to the gospel. And so mm. it makes me want to make sure I'm checking my life and ask myself, am I just a Christian or am I actually conforming to the gospel and his purposes? And I mean, throughout the week, I find myself stressing the importance to other young adults and college students, the importance of community. Yeah. And so something he said was, uh, we're made for close fellowship and we look for communion with God in Christ. And we also look for communion with each other. And so I stress that it feels like on a weekly basis to other college students and young adults, like you have to be in community yeah. and especially through suffering, you need to be alongside with brothers and sisters. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, a term that for our listener, you guys have heard me say before, uh, which I did not invent, <laughs> you know, um, is that the, 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 the thing of doing life on life, mm. right. And that's what we're talking about being with other brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, but even the people that don't know Christ, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, that we are, um, who are asking questions, mm -hmm. who are wondering, you know, where, where they are, where they came from and is there a God, but man, the time that we get to fellowship just by even just going out mm -hmm. and having a cup of coffee or going out to lunch and just spending, uh, spending that time with that person and get to know them. I know it makes a huge difference um, in their lives, but uh, and and the importance of spending time, and and here's we're relation relationship building, and he yeah. touched on that even when he was talking about his book and creation, speaking about Adam, Adam being in a perfect garden, right, and God telling him it's not good for a man to be alone. Mm -hmm. uh, I really love how he explained that, you know. The, the, the Hebrew word that is being translated there was not actually rib, but something out of his side, uh, whatever it might be, though, uh, you know, he he made uh, Eve, you know, flesh out of his flesh, blood out of his blood and, and just really just really love how he put he put that. Um, one of the things I do want to say, guys, uh, November 19th, OK, uh, 2022 at 830 to 4 p.m., our Spanish conference our spanish conference at uh, 5201 university boulevard at the university university of Ill uh, sorry the university of texas not illinois the university of texas international uh uh at the student uh center uh we'll be having our spanish conference and uh our speakers are going to be jonathan tucker local pastor here uh, graduate of Master Seminary, we're going to have our main speaker, uh, Juan Sanchez, and uh, another uh, local pastor, Eduardo Mantorano, 
graduated from uh, Puritan Reform and now pastor of Levide uh, PCA Church. So uh, that conference is going to be absolutely excited. We're going to be talking about uh, Sola, Scrip uh, Sola Scriptura, uh, the, the centrality of the word of God, and it will be in Spanish. So uh, please, uh, for our Spanish speaking audience, our bilingual audience, please, please make sure you go to bridge, bridgemenlaredo.org and register for the conference because it's going to be coming up pretty soon. And please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And like we always like to end the show, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. To next, next week. Next week.